welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows that um, a livable climate is like the number one thing we need for future generations and for ourselves right here, right now. A livable climate um, and a climate full of justice and love. And uh, and today we got in, in three people in the studio that are talking about um, the upcoming Earth Day on April 22nd, an event that's happening at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Michael Cheney with Project CD Pie. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. What's up there, neighbor? What's up? I don't know. A lot. It's kind of. I a... miss you. I haven't been out here in a while. <laughs> I still think you probably have the record. This is probably your fourth or fifth show. Yeah, I sat in the same chair <laughs> every time I come. I feel like family. Yeah. Well, we you know we do share the same planting the seeds of change. Huh? Isn't, isn't that kind isn't of cool? Isn't that kind that of is ding, very ding, cool. ding 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 yes. ding? Before we met each other, we had. Uh, uh, Project Sweetie Pie came up with the slogan, catch line, planting the seeds of change. And then I ran up on Lori and found out that she had the same uh, catchphrase. And I didn't think I stole it. I don't, I mean, but it's not, I mean, that's that's part of reality, isn't it? It's, it's that these words come through, but it's also what that means is that actually going into the seeds and, and, and fostering what we want to see um, birth. Exactly, exactly. We are, what, President Obama would say, we are the change we want to see, right? And so, yeah, I think it's, you know, with Project Sweetie Pie people, I always say, well, you know, how did you come up with it? I said, because it's in the wind and uh, it's time to harvest our values. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Jasmine, so we also have in studio with us Jasmira uh, Colon, um, and you're with Hennepin County. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Uh, well, my name is Jasmira Colon. I go by she, hers pronouns. Um, I recently joined Hennepin County as a climate community liaison. Um, so a lot of the work that we do is working to support the climate action plan at Hennepin County. Uh, we're really boots on the ground, enhancing community engagement, um, really prioritizing climate vulnerable communities like BIPOC and low-income populations that have historically been left from the decision-making table and I'm happy to be here. Great, we're happy to have you. And um, uh, Didier, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you for having us, Laura. And I am originally from Colombia. I grew up in the Andean mountains. I studied agriculture at the at Earth University in Costa Rica for four years. And I did my master's degree at Humphrey School. And it's interesting that this event is going to be hosted at the University of Minnesota again. Yeah. Okay, so before we, let's get into that. What's going on and what's the event and what are the details about the event? Well, you know, we like to say at Project Sweetie Pie that we are trying to, if we're all well-intentioned, let's be more intentional, right? Um, how can we move the needle and make kind of impact? You know, the environmental movement in many extent has been a apartheid movement, you know, led by, you know, uh, white educated elite to the exclusion of everyone else. Well, how preposterous and absurd is that? We are a global community. And so if we really are serious and genuinely interested in addressing global warming, this is this is a good cross-section right here of, you know, of folks who come from around the world, different ethnicities. And that's part of what why we wanted to do this uh, for – it's not Earth Day celebration. It's actually the Friday before. 
Store, uh, 12 to 3, Friday, April 21st. And it's a Community Environmental Justice Expo. And what I like to say is that we are operationalizing the Green New Deal and we're demonstrating what they mean when they talk about the UN talks about the sustainable development goals, that we have to come together as large nonprofits, small nonprofits, for-profit businesses, small um, uh, educational institutions, you know, government municipalities. And so that's what we've tried to um, uh, curate here for this event, right? Coming together to co-create, co-design, and co-curate the future. And it starts today. The future is now. And so we've been working very hard um, Hennepin County is one of the sponsors. We have AMPACT. We have um, uh, Nature Conservancy. We have DNR. These organizations that historically have really operated in silos, really operated in isolation. But we've really made this a grassroots effort that bubbles up from the grassroots up rather than the top down. And it brings us all together in concert. And that is so important to having that, uh, having both uh, bottom up, top down, or just having all these um, these pollinations, right? And and how we want to, um, as again, I'm going to go back to that birth that sustainable, just world. We all do better when we all do better, and how we create that in times of crisis. Um, you know, time is ticking here um, pretty fast. So, tell us some more details about the event, Didier. Oh, well, the event is, um, it has, in my, the way how I see it, it has four pieces, four like, uh, sections. I will start at 11 in the morning. There are going to be, uh, I will say, more than the 20 organizations tabling. And, and that is going to happen in the morning, especially doing networking. And the networking, the intention uh, from the organizations and actually from a lot of students from several universities, the idea is also to connect between organizations and between the students and trying to find communalities, trying to find ways to collaborate. And definitely is going to be food. There is going to be served food there. Please um, don't worry about that. At 11.30, there is going to be a light food and refreshments. At, at 12, uh, there is going to be an Atlanta acknowledgement uh, directed by uh, indigenous groups, and that is very important for this event. And at the same time, there are going to be some key speakers, uh, including Michael uh, after. Uh, and at, at 1, we are going to have a dance performance, and that is going to be very, 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 very lovely, and also some another key speaker at that time. And from there until three, there is going to be like more uh, networking and with new organizations that are going to come at that time. And at three, after three, there are going to be closing remarks and conclusions and kind of an open discussion. And this is free and you just show up. You don't have to RSVP and it's open to the public. Yes. And don't worry about parking in. If you are not familiar with the Humphrey School at the University of Minnesota, it's, um, it is located in a very, like, key space where you, like, there are plenty of parking in front of it. And this is going to be in the, in the main room at the Humphrey. Uh, there is a big space, uh, enough, plenty of room for, for the tabling, and, but also for parking, there is going to be, like, enough space across the, the road. 
So, uh, just Mary, what, what does this mean when the community gets together with events like this? I mean, why is it? Why? What? What are the hopes? What are the hopeful outcomes of, of events like this? Yeah. Well, I would say um, I believe that this is an awesome time to really you know, uh, strengthen unity and harmony within the community and bring people from all different diverse walks of lives together. Um, if I'm being honest, I think when we think about climate change, um, it's not really talked about enough as much as it should be. You know, when people think about climate change, they think about polar bear Antarctica, but they're not thinking about how they could take simple actions like, you know, recycling or, or, or coming together to create a community garden space. Um, so I think that education is very important. So increasing awareness within a community, um, bringing folks together so that way they can co-create, co-collaborate like Michael Shaney was mentioning before. Um, and then they can also go and feel empowered so that they can also create projects within their own community and they can take the information, the knowledge, the resources that they're gathering from these events and spaces and disturb, uh, distributing that information within their own neighborhoods. So it's like a trickle-down effect is what I believe will come from this event. Michael, you want to hop in here on what's a pro, pro- well, events like this? well, you know, we don't know what we don't know, right? And so, again, uh, historically, the way things have happened has been, again, you know, the educated elite that this was their ju- this was their jurisdiction, their wheelhouse, and the average individual, the John Q. citizen, the boy and girl next door, there really wasn't in, and hasn't been any real way for them to get on board. To and oftentimes, it, and most. Times Solutions are born out of community. And yet, again, if you've got this great divide, right, this great wall of China that separates our academic institutions from our neighborhoods and never the two shall meet. And in fact, you know, uh, the universities historically have been gated communities where the students that live there aren't even encouraged to participate in neighborhood, aren't, aren't encouraged to learn in real practical ways, you know, applied education. We really, this goes as far as today is, how do we rethink our drink? How do we go about as communities really to empower people, to honor people, to bring people into this global discussion, and to let them know that they are important and that their ideas can make a difference? And and historically, you weren't even invited into the conversation in these rooms unless you had a BA, MA, PhD. And it hasn't gone well for us, you know? Well, and that's, I mean, um, one statistic, and I heard this from Terry Gibbs this week, is that 70% of young people are facing some type of eco-despair. And I think that, you know, the the people, you're right, the people who've been in the room talking about this are the experts, and we're all getting together, whereas it really does take all of us in all of our positions. And, and that eco-despair, that hopelessness and that despair is connected to once the facts. I mean, it's connected to what is actually occurring right here, right now. But also, we're kind of paralyzed, and we don't feel like we can do anything. And part of that lifting up and feeling like you can do something is to move to community. Um, and I know I, um, Jim Embry is going to be here with his uh, Joy and Justice tour again. And I think it's finding those resilient ways of being joyful in community that opens up new paths 
for justice and sustainability to coexist and to create this vital world we all want. We all want it, right? We really do. <laughs> so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with uh, Michael Cheney, uh, Jasmine Colon, and Didier uh, Gonzalez about um, an event coming up on Friday, April 21st. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. In studio with me is Michael Cheney with Project Sweetie Pie, Jasmira Colon with uh, Hennepin County, also Didier uh, Gonzalo, also, Gonzalez, also with um, Hennepin County. And joining us now by phone is Liv. And Liv, uh, tell us a little bit about the organizations you're active in. Yeah, so I um, work for Ampact. Um, specifically, I'm a community forestry member um, based out of Duluth, Minnesota. I'm working on the Forest Assisted Migration Project um, with uh, the RSDP office and Minnesota Extension. So this is so. Um, so the goal, one of the goals, is to plant a million trees. Tell us a little bit about trees and climate change, and how trees are both affected by climate change, and how planting trees is helps us all be more resilient to climate change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, in, uh, more specifically in like an urban environment, trees are really important for bringing down like the urban heat island effect. So just like our cities are really hot. Um, and so trees can help relieve a lot of that stress and heat. Um, not only, you know, helping us people, but also, uh, animals and creating habitat. Um, it's also good flood mitigation. Um, you know, trees really hold soil and uh, help protect against erosion. Um, And then with my project specifically, working on the Forest Assisted Migration Project, you know, we're able to notice that our climate is changing. Um, But so we are trying to bring uh, tree seeds from central and southern Minnesota and planting them in northern Minnesota. So that way they have the more southern genetics. So as the climate warms, um, we'll have trees uh, better adapted to a warmer climate so that way we don't experience mass forest die-off. So that way there's like, we're better able to transition the forest to a warmer climate and hopefully preserve our forests. And so if people want to talk more, they can stop by this event on April 21st and and talk to you directly um, about um, your project. That's kind of how it works. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm going to be tabling with Mary Hammes from uh, the Nature Conservancy. Um, and, yeah, we will have a booth tabling, and we'll have information um, for how to get involved with seed collecting, which is what the majority of my job is, um, as well as information about joining um, Climate Impact Corps. Cool. Could you talk a little bit about uh, the Nature Conservancy? Again, you know, uh, uh, a well-seated, large nonprofit that has been, you know, on the on the front line in terms of addressing, you know, reforestation. Um, you guys got some exciting projects ahead of us. Could you share a little bit about? You know, you talked a little bit about AMPAC and the work that's that they do. Talk a little bit for our listening audience about the nature of the work that the Nature Conservancy does. Yeah, um, I mean. 
I don't want to, uh, I guess, talk too much about the Nature Conservancy just because that's not who I'm employed through. And so I, I guess I want to be careful <laughs> about what I'm saying on the radio. Um, but yeah, the Nature Conservancy, I think, is the largest nonprofit, environmental nonprofit um, in the world. And they do work spanning everything. You know, reforestation is a really big project in Minnesota right now. Um, but they're also working on preserving prairies. Um, and yeah, the project that I'm most closely related with is Minnesota Million, uh, reforesting a million acres of Minnesota by 2040. Exactly. And for that to really be an effective, it's an amazing effort. Um, but we've seen that kind of, of really intention around the world as, you know, we look to Africa, right? And the green belt there. So certainly there's, models and examples of how we should be working if we want to work smart. And again, the only way that we can do that is if we bring all hands on deck. And so this effort, this Community Environmental Justice Expo, is really just kind of a, a ripple in a pond, if you will. You know, how can we move from this event to the million-acre project that the Nature Conservancy is doing? And we can do that by addressing not only um, global warming and climate change, but also looking at community development, also looking at the intersection of economic development. Because oftentimes, you know, we think that low marginalized communities, one, number one, they're not concerned, they're not doing anything. But we haven't really been authentic and real honest about engaging people in low-income communities. They weren't part of the discussions, so they certainly haven't been invited to be part of the solutions. We are intent on doing three things at Project Sweetie Pie. Number one, how do we uh, bring people who have been marginalized and kept out of the conversation, not allowed to live the American dream, how do we intentionally bring them into the conversation? Number two, and what I say is even more insidious, is, is that in this Western culture, we're about divide and conquer. We may not do it overtly, something that we may not think about, but we're really pitted against each other, you know, either overtly or, you know, in some very subversive ways. So, you know, a house divided, you know, that old saying, a house divided cannot stand. And so that's clearly, again, how do we break down these silos that keep us separated? Keep us, you know, uh, competing against each other rather than complementing each other, working collaboratively together. And so it's really a paradigm shift in terms of how really the nonprofit sector and how government has worked. And then last but not least, you know, how do we change the – make this paradigm shift from in, um, creating programming that is top-down – you know, rather than grassroots bubbling up. So this is an event for, by, of, and for, um, you know, the BIPOC community to really get them, in, to invite them into the circle and to really invite them into some of these major organizations like the Nature Conservancy, like uh, AMPAC, like the DNR, you know. Even let's just look at DNR. Historically, their work has been and resources have been deployed to rural communities. And if you talked with them, they couldn't imagine what does cities have to do with it. 
They couldn't imagine it. And they, but again, that is the consequences of institutional racism. And even this, you know, we're one of 17 cities across the country that were uh, Project Sweetie Pie was selected to do a thing called the People's Garden. And it's going to be a food force at 2210 Emerson. We got money from uh, the Natural Resource Conservation Services. And 12 years ago, 13 years ago, when we went to the uh, uh, Department of Agriculture and we said we want to create funding for urban farming. And the head of the Ag Finance Committee, she looked at us and said, what is urban farming? And we said, it's farming in urban areas. But again, they had such a mental block that farm, what did farming look like? It certainly didn't look like, you know, folks of color like us here in this room, that farming meant white farmers with tractors, doing soybean, doing corn. And so it's, we've really been pitted against each other, urban, rural, you know, in uh, nature, lack of nature. And so we're really trying to balance the scales of justice. And as I like to say, let equity and inclusion be the seeds that fuel our nation's future. Yeah, fuel the nation's future. We're going to need to take a break. I thank you so much, Liv, for joining us. Um, we're going to be right back. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk thank more you. about this event happening at the uh, Hubert Humphrey uh, School of Public Affairs on Friday, April 21st uh, from noon to 3. You're invited. It's a free event. There's a land Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking about a free event at the University of Minnesota School Hubert Humphrey School of Public Affairs on April 21st. And let's talk about how climate change is affecting us right here, right now, and who's most affected by it. So let's just go around the table and say, how is climate change affecting us and why it matters? And talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, from my perspective, I believe that those who really suffer the most, um, who are not really prepared or equipped for the changing climate conditions are BIPOC and low-income communities. I mean, we think about the recent train derailment that happened in Ohio and how many uh, families were, you know, experiencing these issues, you know, the chemicals that were leaking into their soil. And and I think about, you know, indigenous um, communities who were fighting to protect their water. Um, You know, I think about how, you know, Flint still does not have clean water. I mean, I see all these issues that are interconnected connected. Um, And kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier about how we do not talk enough about climate change and we don't make that comparison of how it affects our day-to-day life. Um, I can share from my experience uh, growing up in Newark, New Jersey, um, you know, I never received education at all, um, even coming to Minnesota about climate change. My first course on climate change is when I went um, to go to graduate school uh, for social work. And that was the first course that I had that even talked about environmental justice. Um, And I remember growing up as a little girl, we had all this space in my community that was not being utilized. There was not even any local grocery stores. You know, we got our food through fast food restaurants. So there was a Chinese store, there was maybe a deli, but I kid you not, we'd have to take a bus and go to the next city just to go to a, a fresh um, a market to get our food. And so it's examples like that where I think black and brown communities suffer the most when it comes to being under-resourced, not having, you know, access to gardens, um, you know, maybe not having enough trees in their community as well. Um, so when it is hot, you know, and those 
those areas, what are they going to do? You know, if they don't have any air condition, um, you know, there's they're, they are experiencing heat strokes. Um, and you think about well-off affluent communities, usually white communities that have all these trees and park and green spaces, um, you know. And so I think about um, going forward in the future if we really want to make a difference, we really need to make sure that we're pouring funding into our BIPOC low-income communities, that we're really bringing them to the table because I I personally believe that BIPOC communities have the solutions um, and we just need to go step aside, help uplift their narratives instead of sharing stereotypes that we think about, oh, they don't want, they're not interested in climate change, you know, or what do they know? Um, And also building on their strengths that they already have to offer. Um, And so I think we also need to just start educating our communities more about these issues and why it's important. So, oh yeah, how is climate change affecting us now? Um, probably I can share a little bit of uh, my personal experience. I'm from Colombia and the coffee coffee grows in a specific climate. And being from a mountain region, I grew up in the mountains, you see how the coffee bell is moving each time or each year a little bit up, up. And, and that's just a consequence of um, warming. Um, I will say that uh, any action that we take here also can affect or improve the lives somewhere else. And I feel like that's uh, a perspective that also kind of encourages us to do um, actions. And I, another perspective might be not to put in, in, in fight what is considered to be urban and rural uh, agriculture, I feel like both are very important, but both can present different um, solutions for um, to produce their products in in each in each sector. And the way how I see urban agriculture is like, besides producing food, is a beautiful way to construct um, community. It's like so many people together, and it it is just lovely um, to to see communities. I I personally I participate in the common neighborhood with some um, gardening people that are just amazing. Um, yeah, gardening people are amazing. That is so true, and it is one place that you really do feel this, uh, um, you know, feel resilience and and feel um, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. And I think that's core in our nature to have that feeling of belonging, and it's a feeling that most of us are missing out on because of the way our systems are structured. Well, there's a reason why they called farmers the salt of the earth, you know, because agriculture is in all of our DNA. You know, I mean, as we've seen the, you know, shrinking numbers of the family farm, it has had a reverberating effect on all of society. And again, the way that we've been, you know, people ask me, they say, well, Michael, you a grower? And I say, yeah, I'm a grower, but that's not really what I'm doing. They say, what do you say? I say, I'm an egg patriot. And then they're, you know, they get a quizzical look on their face and they say, well, what does that mean? And I said, I'm using agriculture as a way to really engage people civically. You know, you have your personal life, you have your family life, and then there's their civic life. And if we can't expect people to, you know, we all make kind of make this uh, gross assumption that everybody knows what it means to be humane, to be a human, 
and to be humane. And that's simply not a given. You know, so the garden and caring for Mother Earth, caring for the water, you know, care, uh, these are the fruit of our ancestors. And we're sharing that from that knowledge, those life skills. You, t- you started the show talking about the climate despair. And we're seeing it in every level of society that young people are, who are going to inherit the earth, right? And they're the ones that, you know, us old timers like me, you know, we've left the earth in disarray. And so, you know, we need to reach back, te- reach one, teach one, and create these pipelines either to prosperity or we're going to create prison pipelines, which is the way we've really – determine what economic development looks like. But it's been on the backs of poor of poor and impoverished people rather than trying to lift people up and out of poverty. I always like to say that, you know, uh, poverty is slavery. You know, it's it, it keeps someone, uh, instead of being able to thrive and to see the world as their oyster, you know, it leaves people oppressed and depressed. And that's nothing healthy for a society if the poorest of the you You can judge a society by the way that it engaged and it served the, the poorest of the poor. And as we see homelessness and all of these social ills, one of the ways that we can can really therapeutically address uh, mental health. And farming, urban farming is a mental health issue. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. It is. And, you know, I'm going to just briefly mention these things we know that we're experiencing right now. The the weather has been extreme. It's it's been weird weather. You know, it's it's been weird weather. We've had an increase in past mosquitoes. Um, uh, This, uh, the Minnesota roads, just dealing with this extreme heat and cold and air pollution. And that's where you see some of the equity issues. The rates of asthma, COBT, and other things are much higher in certain areas, uh, areas that are traditionally poor. Um, and um, uh, and um, and also the whole tree canopy and the that is also um, there's huge disparities, and as we correct those disparities, we increase both the resilience of people and increase our collective ability to respond to our climate crisis. Somebody asked me to say, Michael, why are you so enamored by trees? And I looked at him and thought for a minute. And I said, Well, have you ever heard of oxygen? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that basic, it's that elementary, it's that rudimentary that, you know, if we, you know, there's those who would scorn us being tree huggers. Well, if you're a tree hugger, I take my hat off to you because Mother Earth needs you. We all need you tree huggers to come out here and stand with us. And that's why this event on um, Friday, April 21st is to really get us all on the same page, uh, marching to the same drummer, and everybody gets a chance to toot their own horn, beat their own drum. I'm not there to influence. I w- This isn't about we got to get away from this me, me, me and start talking, get French and say we, we, we. And just to mention that as Hennepin County, we are supporting the event, but we are we are kind of cooperating. You know, we're not the main uh, organizers. Like there are so many organizations, over 40 organizations that are together. And thank you to the community organizations that are bringing us together to have this discussion. But none of us has like control over it. It's just like an open discussion that we have to have. 
And we're very proud of the fact that, you know, students from the Institute on the Environment, you know, have um, interns that have been interning with Project Sweetie Pie, along with interns from McAllister. You know, two of, you know, a large university and a small college breaking down the borders again, gardens without borders, classrooms without walls. For the last, you know, three, four, five months, they've been diligently putting this together, reaching out, trying to identify all of the stakeholders, right, so that we can have this conversation, come to the table, and then kind of figure out, well, what's next? What, if we can do this event on Earth Day, right, can what's next? Can we can we plant a million acres of trees? I, th- I say that it may sound outlandish or preposterous, but again, we can if we really put our heads together and we really identify the resources that I want to add are coming now for the first time in the 13 years that I've been involved with it. You know, when, like I said, 12, 13 years ago when we talked about urban farming, folks didn't know what it meant, even though they were in the field of agriculture. But now uh, farm service agencies just opened up a office in St. Paul for urban farming. On the federal level, they just opened up an office for urban farming. So within a decade, we've seen this kind of 180-degree shift that now uh, uh, Minnesota Pollution Control, now they're starting to acknowledge and recognize the significance of urban farming, that it's, well, I'll call it, a, it's a gateway drug. You know, you, if, you, if you can get people planting radishes and carrots, then there's a chance we can get them planting trees. I love that expression of a gateway drug for kids, urban gardening because and school gardens, because there is just something about being in the soil that's just enlivening. Um, and, uh, okay, so... So let's talk a little bit more about the problems and how how is Hennepin County? I know there's a lot of strategies. So briefly, what is Hennepin County doing about these this climate crisis? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the Climate Action Plan was passed in 2021. Um, there are seven foundational strategies that various departments of the county are working to address. I won't go through all of them. Um, feel free to check out the Climate Action Plan um, on the Hennepin County website. But what I say, what I will say is that some of those strategies include strengthening and really building individual and community resilience. Um, also, you know, ex- tree canopy expansion, transitioning to renewable energy, um, et cetera. And so some of the things that I could say, like our department specifically, the climate resiliency I've been doing, um, you know, we are with the climate action plan. The goal is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, really also prioritizing getting community members away from um, vehicles that have fossil fuel usage and really exploring alternative transportation options. So Didier and I um, in our department, we've been working with um, uh collaborating with the city of Brooklyn Park and, and other partners that are doing work in Brooklyn Park and Minneapolis um, to do listening sessions in the summer um, that will be led by community-based organizations, those who have that trusted um, relationship built with community members. Um, and we'll really just bring people together to have this conversation on what does transportation electrification look like to you, addressing the issues of air pollution, traffic pollution, noise pollution within those communities, um, and really just gathering input on what does the community say for solutions? What solutions do they propose that we can implement at the county at the city level um i so can also we're, we're going to 
going to need to take another break. Okay. And we're going to be right back with our last segment about the climate action plan. Let's take action. That's the, the solution to despair is action. So you've been listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking about a free event at the University of Minnesota on, on, on April 21st uh, through from noon to 3. You don't treat me Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and uh, we're talking about a free event at the University of Minnesota on Friday, April 21st from noon to 3. And uh, Didier, you're with the uh, um, Hennepin County, so tell us a little bit about what's going on and what, what activities Hennepin County are doing to address the climate crisis. Yeah, I think one of the um, one of the activities that I can highlight here is Hennepin County is trying to expand um, um, organic uh, waste uh, reduction or kind of collecting more. And for those uh, people or residents of Hennepin County that they are doing good recycling, Hennepin County want to expand and try to get more people to uh, get the organic separated and try to compost that in, in, in facilities. And also for those who are thinking how to expand like recycling, that's another option. Um, Hennepin County offered the tools to do it, just like try to connect with us. And that's actually a, a big priority right now. Like, um, um, yeah, that's uh, important. Also, as Jasmira was mentioning, we uh, Hennepin County is reducing uh, the, the greenhouses emissions, and it, like Hennepin County is updating the fleet, like cars and heavy vehicles, and that's that's another uh, action. Mm, yeah, those are some of uh, the actions that I can highlight. Um, yeah, just to mention, like um, also like the uh, the Department of uh, Energy and Environment ex- expanding uh, the um, some programs that contain grants, like for example the Green Partners, and now there is a new project called or is calling for green jobs. This is a new development, and that probably people might be interested, organization might be interested. Or oh, that information we are going to share it also in the event that we are having. Um, yeah, this Friday, April 21st. Okay. Um, yeah, if you, need, if you want to know more about that, just, just come. show up and so that. And yeah. So, uh, Jasmera um, Colon, would you like to say anything more about Hennepin County and the activities that they're doing to address the climate crisis? Yeah, um, so I will also just kind of give a little bit brief summary about our department. Um, so we do have a new director, Diana Chamasales. Um, she helped form this department um, a little over a year ago, um, and really our department is ex- exists to help provide support and implement these strategies within the various departments, the community, um, and really we're here to be bridge builders. You know, connecting community members with you know the cities, with the counties, kind of connecting everyone and bringing everyone to the seat of the table. Um, because what we kind of see is that um, oftentimes there might be different um, cities that are working with the organizations or different county departments that are working with the organizations, but really we want to we envision bringing everyone together at the same table. Um, and then I would also say, like, for us, um, you know, bringing that racial equity piece is very important in the work that we do when we talk about climate and resiliency. Um, you know, what the, one of the things that's important to the Climate Action Plan is there's a map called the Climate Vulnerability Index. And it's really, um, when we think about which cities, which communities, what neighborhoods we should be engaging, it's looking at those um, residential areas that are most affected by the pollution. And so for us, we really incorporate a racial equity lens with the work that we're doing in the Climate Action Plan. 
So we only have about four minutes left, and this is such a big topic, to say the least. I'm, I'm almost laughing. And because in this whole idea of eco despair, and are you, are, I'm going to just go around the table. Are you optimistic, hopeful, or workful that um, we'll be able to leave a livable future for the planet and a more joyful, connected world right now? Well, that's to me comes down to is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? You know, certainly if we don't plan, if we don't, if we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. And so for us to act as if we're ostrich with our head in the sand can only spell doom. Uh, we're building a better democracy. Uh, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, urban farming, local food production is the latest iteration of the civil rights movement. You know, how do we bring ex-offenders back into society instead of cursing them to a, a life of damnation? You know, how do we bring foster children who, you know, who can, you know, need education, need work? You know, this work is really in many ways addresses reparations you know because there's a check that uh, uh, there's a check that hasn't been paid and you know and so at, even in the upper harbor terminal we were talking about instead of 40 acres in a mule let's do 48 acres in a school because we really have a chance we've all seen wakanda We've all seen Black Panther. And so let's build that community. Let's build that that Shangri-La. And so, you know, call me, you know, Pollyanna, call me pie in the sky. But I and, and I admit it, I am an eternal optimist. And I will, you know, fight to my dying breath to make sure that I'm uh, doing all that I can do, right? Be the change you want to see. And we can't do that if we're all rowing, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing you're going this way i'm going that way and i'm if if i haven't been more hopeful then i'll refer to hennepin county three years ago we were told by hennepin county green partners that we didn't get funding because uh, they didn't see any correlation to global warming and climate change and now here three years later they've started a department that is focused solely on that that's amazing when you've got you know epa now i mean these large bureaucracies are kind of like dinosaurs. They got all that tail and they got to swing it. It takes a little action, inertia to keep get into motion. So, But I believe we're, if nothing else, we're now headed in the right direction. That's great, heading the right way. And one of the number one things they say, your, your Hennepin County says is we need to strengthen individual and community resilience. It's not about government doing it. It's not about government not doing it. It's about us doing it together. Mm-hmm. Last minute, anything you want to say? Yeah, no, you are correct. I think that's that's how we are envisioned after, you know, the pandemic and all of these uh, big changes. And I, I feel like the vision seems to be more diverse. The vision seems to be more um, holistic. And I feel like that's pretty important for a better future. And I am optimistic, too. We can do it better. Yeah. And I will say, too, um, that I'm feeling very hopeful for this generation. I think there's definitely been a resurgence, um, you know, empowering the youth to stand up and also get involved in climate action work and form solutions. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Didier and I were attending a conference that was youth-led, and youth were coming and having these conversations about environmental issues that are affecting their neighborhoods. And it was just such a beautiful thing to see. 
um, this information, this education starting to finally trickle down to our younger generations. And, you know, even our local environmental activists who have been around for a long time who have been doing the work and they haven't been publicized, but there's just been this resurgence where now they're starting, you know, there's there's more empowerment of community members um, coming together to create these solutions. So I'm feeling very hopeful. What a great hopeful note to leave on. So the event, again, is free, uh, no reservations required, Friday, April 21st from noon to 3 um, at the Hubert Humphrey School of Public Affairs. And a website you want to suggest people go to? Yes, look for Community Environmental Justice Expo, and definitely you will find information at the Project Suripai website. Um, there are other websites where you can find information or try to reach us um, in, in somehow, but definitely there is information already in the in the websites. Right? Great. Well, I thank you so much, Michael, uh, Jasmira, and Didier, and uh, thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Have a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.